Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Welcome to my new message series on worship. Christians all around the world gather together on a regular basis to worship God. Yet there seems to be some confusion about what worship really even is, how we are to do it, and why we're to do it. So what's worship all about, and are you truly a worshiper yourself? I just got back from a trip to Guatemala about a week and a half ago, and it was a great trip. It was awesome. Got to go down there uh, and see uh, maybe some ways that God might use us to partner with some churches down there in Guatemala, in San Bartolo, Aguas Calientes, and uh, man, it just looks like a great opportunity or two or three down there for us. I'm very excited about it, and I had the privilege of taking a deacon and an elder with me. Uh, Justin Chadwick went with me down there and so did David Lynn. And I got to be honest with you, there was a little bit of hesitation on David's part. You know, a little bit of worry. Uh, is it going to be okay? You know, because David made the mistake of watching the news. And so he got worried about, oh, is it gonna, it's dangerous for us. Maybe we shouldn't go. We're going to get kidnapped when we're down there. And, you know, I don't know. I got on the, I got on the CDC website, found out I got to get all these shots. But I don't know if we should even go. Is it safe to go? And I was like, David, stop, stop listening to all that, man. Just stop, stop all that. Just, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, but they said this and they said that and I see this. And I, I'm like, dude, 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 seriously, just, yeah. Just go, just make sure you got your passport and just go. Once you see it, you'll get it. Really, once you see it, you'll get it. You can't see it right now, you don't understand what's going on, but once you see it, you'll get it. And so he went, and the whole way, he's kind of worried and biting his fingernails a little bit, not sure if this is going to be good. But he went and had the experience with me and with Justin, and I tell you right now, the three of us, we can't wait to get back down there again. I mean, our hearts are completely sold out to the people there in Guatemala. Uh, he didn't understand it on the front end, but now that he's seen it, he gets it, right? Once you see it, you get it. And that's what this series is all about. I want to help you see it a little bit more. Worship is something that, frankly, you already know, you already understand, you know what it is. But I think you need to see it a little bit better to get it a little better. I do. We all do. There's a key to seeing it in order to really get it. That's why we're going to look at Isaiah's experience. We're going to take three weeks and we're going to look at Isaiah's experience of seeing it so that he would get it. So really though you automatically get it to a degree you and I understand worship to some degree right I mean if I were to tell you we're going to worship together you would know what that meant because you already see it you already do it more or less right all the time because the first blank on your page here's the key everybody worships everybody worships I don't care if you're a Baptist or a Methodist or a non-denominational, you worship. <clears throat> I don't care if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu. I don't care if you're an agnostic or even an atheist. Everybody worships. All of humanity worships. Every human being is a worshiper because that's what you were created to do. You fulfill your design purpose when you worship. It's deep in us, every single one of us. The ones that know God well and even the ones that don't know God, we are made to worship, right? God describes us, the people of God, in Isaiah 43, when he says, I made them for my glory. It was I who created them. He's talking about his people. He made them for his glory. It's just in us. Worship is in us. And we've learned in our Romans study, we've been studying Romans for some time on Sunday mornings. We learned early on in Romans 1 that there was this great train wreck that happened. 
that God made us to worship him. He planted us here to worship him, to glorify him, to point our lives at him so that everything, everyone around us could see him when they see us, right? But the train wreck happened and we fell away from that. We, we forgot our design purpose, but we didn't stop worshiping. Right? In Romans 1, here's what Paul writes. He says, instead, after the train wreck, instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Right? I mean, sure, worship of God stopped, but worship continued. We long to worship. We deeply and inescapably desire to be connected to something much bigger and much better than ourselves. That's why you're true to your school. That's why you're brand loyal. That's why you love your team. That's why you get all excited when, you're, when your kid scores a goal. You know, it's because you're, de you're designed to connect to something much, much, much more than you are. Worship has been said to be the activity of the human soul. We're all worshipers. The problem, the problem for all of us, for all of us, is we still lose sight of the object of our worship. We do so very, very, very easily. I mean, because we, let's just be honest, we live in a super hyper-distracted society. Am I right? I mean, we, we are distracted. Hold on a second. John Crawford says it's okay. He just feels like it's a cold right now. It's COVID, but it just feels, oh, I'm sorry. Was I saying something else? Right? I mean, it's already happening here a couple of times since I started talking. You do it too. We're hyper-distracted by a million things whether it's our devices or whether it's the news or whether it's activities going on or your job or the stuff in the neighborhood or the gossip about so-and-so, we're distracted by a thousand lesser things that we get connected to, that we somehow feel value in. So we get our eyes on these other things and what happens is we're looking at so many other things, distracted by so many things, we've lost sight of the real thing. We've gotten our eyes focused on these much lesser things and we've diluted our worship. We still worship, it's just really diluted. And so it doesn't look like it's supposed to look anymore. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to feel anymore. And it doesn't give us the power of God in our lives like it was designed to give. And it doesn't glorify Him and lift Him high like He designed it to do. So, let's make sure we understand what worship really is, and let's, let's unpack it together over the next few weeks. I want to give you a simplified de definition of what worship is. This definition is out of Louis Giglio's book from about 20 years ago, I think, or so. It's called The Air We Breathe, and I've taken this definition and kind of dumbed it down a little bit because I need it dumbed down. Anybody else? I need it to be simple, just simple for me. So his is kind of long. It's like almost a paragraph. Mine is really short. And here it is. This is Louis' definition simplified. Worship is our response to God for who he is and for what he's done. Worship, let me be clear. Worship is our response to God. Okay, I want to be clear. Worship is our response to God. You know how to respond. You do it all the time. You respond to a thousand things in a thousand different ways, and you respond to everything as that thing demands. Right? I mean, the way you respond is in kind to what you're responding to. You know, for example, you hear that your friend is in the hospital because of a terrible accident. So what do you do? You respond, you pray, you call, hey, how you doing? What can we do for you? You get with your life group or your friends or your neighbors and you arrange meals for the family. I mean, you respond in kind to what is going on. Or you're at the ball game and it's a grand slam and the crowd goes wild, right? Everybody on their feet yelling and cheering with their fists up in the air. You respond in kind. 
right? Or the baby's crying again. And it's 3 a.m., 3 a.m. again. So you get up. And you change the baby and you hold her and you feed her. You respond in kind, right? I mean, you respond all day long, every single day. You're always living your life in some kind of response. You respond to what you hear, what you see, what you experience. Worship is our response to God. Worship is our response to God. What this means is that worship is never initiated by us. The next blank on your page is worship begins with God. Worship only begins with God. Worship is not like a tone setter for the sermon. It's not some kind of thing we engineer to kind of, you know, get you all up and hopefully convince God to do something in your life. Worship doesn't just kind of, you know, poke God and say, hey, 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 remember us? Why don't you do something in us? Worship is never initiated by us. It begins with God. Worship is God's. It starts with Him, and it comes back to Him. When you see Him and you see what He's done, you can't help but respond. Listen to me. When you see Him, you can't help but respond. And, and let me just tell you this. You might want to write this down, not a, not a blank on your page. But this is really key. The better you see him, the more authentic your response can be. I'm going to say it one more time. The better you see him, the more authentic your response can be. What I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, some of you guys don't see it. You don't get it. You're, you're going, listen, I know there's something that happens in the room when we corporately worship, when we gather together and worship, I see those people, you know, that are all about it. Something happens to them. They get connected to something. Something comes over them. You see them change. They behave differently. They act differently. They, they're all wrapped up in it, all about it. But it leaves me a little cold. You know, I, I, I like the songs. The songs are cool. You know, Jeff really jumps around a lot these days. It's kind of fun to watch. You know, I mean, they, they got some good stuff. And I'll, I'll nod along with the songs, you know, it's good, but not my thing. I don't get it. I'm not seeing it. Maybe what I'm saying is I don't want you to see Jeff or Sherry or Chelsea or Gary. I don't want you to see those guys. You need to see him. Him. Maybe Maybe your worship is cold and clammy because you hadn't seen him. Have you, have you seen him in your life? Do you have a reason to praise him? Do you have a reason to thank him? Have you seen him at work in your life? This is huge to God. For us to gather together and corporately worship is a huge thing to God and it's a huge thing to us. God calls us to do this over and over and over again, whether you feel like it or not. I know I've, I've talked to some of you guys. I know some of y'all are like, listen, I'm not really seeing it. That's not my thing. I mean, I understand it. I come every week because my wife makes me. I come every week and I sneak in the back. I sit quietly in the back. I just don't want anybody to really see me, hear me, notice me. I'm going to stand. I'll stand. I'll stand. My hands will be in my pockets the whole time, but I'll stand. You know, I just don't get it. Here's, here's the thing, Steve. They, they tell me this. Here's the thing, Steve. I, I know my lane. You know, I got my own way to worship. I do my own thing. It's not this. I do my own thing. I don't really know what it is. I've never really done it, but I, I, it's, I got my own lane. And I'm just going to ride my lane, dude. I'm going to get in my lane and do my thing. You do your thing. I'll do my thing really not defined, but I'll, I'll do my thing. And I just want to say, I just want to challenge your thought on this. That's a terrible mistake you're making. It's a terrible mistake. First of all, you're, you're cheating yourself out of the power that God has for you. You're robbing yourself of something huge in your life. Second of all, 
You're cheating God out of what he deserves from you. You're holding back on him. And third of all, you, if you want to be all about, I'm riding my own lane, doing my own thing, you, frankly, I, I don't think you really have a biblical leg to stand on. I read the Bible, and I don't see anything about riding your lane, doing your own thing. I don't see that there. I would challenge you to read the book of Psalms. Psalms is the praise and worship manual of the Bible. Remember, the Bible's not a book. It's a collection of works. And the Psalms is literally the hymn book of the Bible, full of poems and songs and instructions on how to worship. So there's clarity in the Psalms about how we are to worship. And it's not, hey, you know, just get in your own lane. I read things like Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Anybody else glad about being able to gather in the house of the Lord together? Yeah, that's what we're called to do. Or one of my favorites, Psalm 100. I memorized it in a different version than we're going to have on the screen. But here's what it says. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord is God. It is he that has saved us and not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, right? And so we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We give thanks to him and we praise his name for the Lord is good. His love continues unfailingly forever and his faithfulness continues to every generation. Come on, we praise him together like this. Psalm 150 says, praise the Lord. Repeat that part with me. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heaven. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and dancing. Hello? Praise him with dancing? Hello, pocket holders? Praise him with dancing, dancing. Man, I, if I could, listen, I, I, all right, I'm just going to be honest. I may not really want you dancing too much. <laughs> Seeing some of that, don't need to see that again. You know what I'm saying? But, dude, if I could just, if I could just get, if I could just get somebody all just to go, mm, little hand raise, I would be okay with that. Here's the scripture saying, praise him with the tambourine and dancing. And we got our hands, I mean, we're, mm, mm. Praise him with the strings and the flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals, AJ. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Say it again with me. Praise the Lord. Come on, amen, right? Psalm 134 says, lift your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. This is our response to God. And you can't have that kind of response if you're not seeing him in your life. But when you see him, you can't help but respond. The people of God respond to God. Am I right? We are the people of God. We gather together in the house of God to sing the praises of God. We call each other to live lives worthy of God. And we join arms to go out into the world and be the light of God so that we can bring more people into the house of God. Am I right? That's who we are. That's what we do. Come on, somebody ought to be excited about that. <laughs> That's our response, and he absolutely deserves it. He absolutely deserves it. Have you seen him? Have you seen him in your life? I mean, just, just, just turn to your significant other or somebody that's sitting with you right now and just be like, I've seen him in my life. Just say, I've seen him in my life. I mean, you know him, right? You know him? You've turned your life over to him? And then what did he do? Dear, you know, dear Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. And then God goes, great. <laughs> I 
right? Is that what God does? You turn your life over to him, and what does he do? He consumes you. He changes you. He does miracles in your life. I bet, I bet right now if I just shut up for a few minutes and you started turning to each other and start saying, okay, let me tell you about the miracles in my life. I bet we'd be here the rest of the day, the rest of the year, because God works. I've seen him every time I hold one of those grandbabies. I don't need anything else, God. I've seen you right there in the face of that little grandbaby. I've seen him in the hospital after my parents should not have survived their car accident right out here. But I've seen him. I've seen him in my marriage when my wife is frustrated with me and can't hardly put up with me anymore and God softens her heart (laughs) to me. Thank you. I've seen him time and time and time again. And the longer you give me, the more stories I can tell about how he's shown up and shown off in my life. How can I possibly not respond? Isaiah had this experience. He had this crazy experience that that you and I probably won't ever have, but he had this experience, and he responded. And I want us to take three weeks and look at this experience that Isaiah has. We'll look at it together in Isaiah 6.1. This is amazing. It was the year that King Uzziah died. He says, in that year, I saw the Lord. See, I bolded that right there so you would see it. Because that statement would freak any Jewish person the heck out. Am I right? Why? Why would any Jewish person go, you saw him? Because what? Because he had not been here in the flesh in the person of Jesus yet? True. But there was a reason that they would clench right up. You saw him? Yes, because any good Jewish person, any good person who knows God knows that you and I are unworthy to be in the presence of a holy God. Outside of the covering of the sacrificial lamb, the blood of Jesus in our lives, we have no business being in the presence of a holy God, right? Because God is holy, above all holy and I'm not and my unholy and his holy they don't mix one's got to go either my unholy compromises his holiness (laughs) like that's going to happen God's not threatened by my presence I am because his holiness eradicates all of the unholy. So no one can be in the presence of God and live. But Isaiah says, that year I saw the Lord. And then he describes a little bit about what he sees. He says, he was sitting on a lofty throne, so he's high, he's high, he's up high, a lofty throne, like he's high up, lofty, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So in this moment, he's in the temple, probably in his mind, this is a vision that he has, probably in his mind, it's Solomon's temple, so he's in a large, ornate, gold-layered room, full of the objects of worship and the train of his robe. He's God's sitting up high. He's above everything. And all Isaiah can really see is the train of his robe. What's the train? You, you know, you, you probably hadn't seen it on a king in our generation, but you might have been to a wedding. I was at a wedding yesterday where Jess and um, uh, James got married. It was really nice. And Jess had one of those wedding dresses, beautiful with the train. It wasn't the big, long, flowing train, but it was a train. It was that 
kind of a, like a Superman cloak that comes behind her. You know, what I'm ta- don't laugh at me. You know what I'm talking about. It's all, it comes behind her. It's the train that comes behind her. And so he's saying that the train of his robe was so long, was so glorious, was so holy that it filled the temple, right? I mean, it's this massive thing. And so it, all Isaiah can really even hardly do is get a glimpse of the, the bottom of his garment that's in the filling the temple. And this word train here, every English translation, translates this Hebrew word into train. So it's this train of his robe. But in all the other places in the Old Testament where this word shows up, it's not translated as train. It's actually translated as hem of his garment. The hem of his garment filled the temple. In other words, the presence of God shows up. The power of God shows up. And man, all I can really even grab a hold of is the hem of his garment. Does that kind of ring a bell for you about somebody else who knew that she, if she could just grab a hold of the hem of his garment, that maybe she'd be healed because she knew the word and she knew that the power of God was sufficient even in just the hem of his garment. Come on. So the train of his robe, the hem of his robe filled the temple. It represented the power of God. And Isaiah continues on. He says this, attending him. (laughs) The vision doesn't stop with just God. Attending God were mighty seraphim. You you know what seraphim are, right? Seraphim, little angels. (laughs) Right? Is that what seraphim are? Does anyone know what seraphim are? No, you don't, because nobody knows what they are. We don't know what the seraphim are. They're not really described for us in Scripture too well. This is the most in-depth description that we have of seraphim. But before I get into this description, I just want to make sure we address the word seraphim. Because (laughs) the word seraphim comes from two Hebrew words that mean fire being. So these are beings of fire. They're flaming creatures. Hello? This isn't God with some little parakeets flapping around up there. These are fire creatures, and they each have holy cow, by the way, fire beings. Uh, Lord of the Rings got nothing on God. So they each have six wings. They each have six wings, six wings. And look what they do. With two wings, they covered their faces. And with two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. Why would they, why would they do that? What? Humility. Did you hear that? Humility in the presence of the king. You know what you do. If you're, if you're in the royal throne room, of the king, you're called before the king. First of all, you don't appear unless called. And then when you come in, you, you, you bow your head. You don't make eye contact. You, you bow your head because eye contact with the king, having your head above that of the king, that would be an offense against the king. They're covering their head. And you would never come in barefoot. You would make sure that your feet are covered. That would be an offense also. You cover your your head and you cover your feet out of humility of knowing who God is. So these creatures, these fire creatures that are at least a whole order of magnitude higher than human beings flying around with fire and they're talking so loudly that their voices shake the temple. You'll see it in just a minute. These are massive, amazing creatures, but yet they're humble before God. And here's what they do. Uh, It says next, it says that they were calling out to each other, holy, holy, holy. Okay, holy, holy, holy. It's it's not that they don't know what they're saying or that they stutter. The thing here is when you see this in the Hebrew, you see a word repeated three times like this. They're saying God is holy, but he's not just holy. Dude, he's holy times holy. And he's not just holy times holy. He's holy times holy times holy. God's not just holy. He is exponentially holy. 
He's holy beyond comprehension, beyond description. He is that holy. That's what they're saying here. These fire beings are saying that God is holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of the heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These creatures seemed to have every reason to glorify themselves, fire beings flying and their voices shaking the temple. But here they are being humble and glorifying God. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations and the entire building was filled with smoke. This is no small vision, am I right? Isaiah has seen something here. He's seen something crazy, something powerful. And how does he respond? This is what he says. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed. I listen to a lot of worship music today, and, and there's some that there's some that we just, I'll be honest with you, that we just won't sing here in this church. There's a lot of worship music, a lot of really good music out there right now, frankly, great music, but we don't sing those songs here in this church because, frankly, the songs are a lot more about me than they are about God. They're a lot more about how great I am, how victorious I am, how I'm going to win, and I am everything I need to be, and I, I'm becoming, and whatever. And I'm not saying they're wrong, because in Christ, I am all those things. In Christ, he's making me all those things. I'm not saying the songs are factually wrong, but dude, their focus is so far off. Because when you see God, when you see him, you can't help but see yourself. And you realize that I do not belong here. Here's what he says. It's, I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. This is a prophet speaking. It's someone through whom God has already been speaking to his people. God uses this man. And he's saying, I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. God speaks through me, but my lips are filthy. Why would God use me? Who am I? I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Isaiah realizes who he is in the presence of God. And he doesn't tell us here exactly what he did, but I can gather a lot from what I read right here. How do you think Isaiah responded physically in that moment? Do you think he went, woohoo, team God, well, all right. Do you think that's what he did in God's presence? I have a feeling reading this that he responded a lot like Peter did in the boat when he realized the presence he was in. Remember Peter in the boat? Before he knew who Jesus was, Jesus had gotten in the boat and was teaching. And then Jesus said, throw your net over and watch what happens. And they pulled in nets full of fish. They couldn't even get them all in. Remember Peter's response? He says, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I have a feeling that Isaiah might have taken a cue from the far above him fire beings and did what anybody would do in the presence of a holy, powerful God, and that is cover your head and your feet. Coming into the presence of God is not something to be taken lightly. We do it so flippantly, we do it so casually. But the place of God's power is not flippant or casual. It's a holy place that we don't deserve to be in, that this pastor doesn't deserve to be in. It's holy ground. I should not even be wearing shoes on my feet. I should be respecting the holy ground that I'm on. 
because next blank on your page worship changes your posture worship isn't pride building it's not up puffing I know a lot of Christians so proud about who they are in Christ but when you see him you should be broken and humbled that God would extend the grace of giving you a sinner deserving immediate swift death in his presence, but instead he would give you the grace of his son's blood shed for you, covering your sin and making you new, calling you, instead of calling you an enemy, he calls you his friend, his child, he's made you a co-heir with him, and rather than making you proud and arrogant, that ought to break the heck out of each and every one of us. Am I right? Worship changes your posture. When you see him, it breaks you. Have you seen him? Worship changes your posture. I know. I know. Because I've talked with some of you guys. I know that some of you would probably still push back. And so I'm still not... (laughs) seeing it. Let me tell you. Let me tell you, Steve. Let me tell you what I see. I see a miserable, failing marriage. Or I see a job situation that you could not even begin to believe how bad it is and how I got stuck here. I thought I was chasing my dreams for my life, and it's turned out to be a disaster. Or I'll tell you what I see. I see physical pain that will never go away. I can't sleep at night. I can't eat. I can't do anything because of the pain. It just won't stop ever. It's always there all the time. I'm seeing suffering like you could never imagine. Or I'm seeing a daughter who won't speak to me, won't have anything to do with me. She won't come home. Or a son who's strung out in his addictions. He's in jail again. I'm not seeing it because I'm seeing everything else. Let me tell you what I see. Pain, sorrow, suffering. What's God ever done for me? Why in the heck should I worship him? And I would tell you, I understand. I understand. Jesus said to us, in this world, you will have trouble, right? He's talking to his own disciples. You will have trouble. The circumstances of our lives are going to be bad and then they're going to be worse and they might come up to bad again (laughs) but let's just face it this world is tough but Isaiah addresses this very idea in his passage to us in Isaiah 6 go back to Isaiah 6 1 and let's just look it was the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord there it is it's hard to see let me explain It was the year that King Uzziah died. This is a terrible year for Isaiah. King Uzziah had been the king, get this, for 52 years. He had taken the throne at a very young age, 16 years old. And King Uzziah was a good, solid, godly king. Most of his life, he honored God and followed God's plan for his life. So for 52 years, the kingdom of Judah had experienced great prosperity and blessings, right? Early on, King Uzziah had waged some key battles against enemy aggressors and had won. And for the first time in its history, the kingdom of Judah expanded its territory westward. They grew because of the blessing of King Uzziah. And for 52 years, they experienced the blessing of having him. Isaiah, sorry, Uzziah had a great plan. He had a great make Jerusalem great again plan. (laughs) He really did. He was tough on enemies, didn't tolerate any junk from those guys. He had a great infrastructure plan. He re-fortified the walls of Jerusalem and built towers, defensive towers that they had never had before. So he militarily protected the town. 
And they increased the economy. He began to have trade with nations they'd never had trade with before. And he really reinforced the agrarian economy in Judah because he initiated some amazing water reclamation efforts that led to reclaiming parts of the desert. He literally, King Uzziah, turned deserts into gardens. This was a good king. And he had been a king, the good king, for a long time. Most of the people in his kingdom never knew any other king. 52 years. And the rest of them could barely remember when we had another king. But it was this year. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Maybe the reason... Isaiah even saw God is because it was the year King Uzziah died. It was the year that everything began to go sideways. It was the year where all the power looked like it was going to transition over to bad. Because the pattern to date had been good king, bad king. Good king, bad king. And everything was going sideways. And it's possible that Isaiah saw the Lord because he had gone before God praying and begging, God, what are you going to do now? Because this is terrifying. This is awful. I don't know what I'm seeing, but I'm seeing nothing good. It might all be bad. And it was then that God showed up. You see, we praise God. We worship God because of what he does, but we worship him primarily because of who he is right? Because our circumstances may go from bad to worse, but he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never casts shifting shadows because he's the father of lights. He is our rock that we can always run to. He is our shield that protects us. Even though we may find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death, we can fear no evil. Because it's his rod and his staff that comfort us. That's why we worship him, because he deserves it. I'm going to say it again. He deserves it. So stop watering your vision of him down with a thousand lesser things. Stop focusing in on all of the, the fancy, pretty, nice things that this world has to offer. Why are you getting yourselves all deluded with all the other stuff? That's why I quit watching Fox News. I had to. Aaron, I had to. I'm supposed to be a person who displays the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That's who I'm supposed to be. But I'm going to be honest with you. I watch Fox News for 10 minutes and I find myself yelling back at the television. And the fruit of the Spirit, where did that go? Love, joy, peace, patience? Out the window. I'm screaming at a rectangle in my living room. Huh? Same thing with all the news channels. All they're going to do is pull out all the fruit of the enemy in you. But some of us spend way more time listening to Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson than we do listening to the Word of God. Uh-oh. You know I'm right. Why are we diluting what we're seeing? No wonder, no wonder our worship is cold and clammy. You get all animated and stomp your feet and yell at the rectangle in your living room and then you come before a holy God who deserves all of your worship, all of your attention, all of your affection and he gets nothing. Do we worship Tucker Carlson more than we worship God? You remember the story of Moses on Mount Sinai I'll refresh your memory. You'll know what I'm talking about. The people of Israel had no relationship with God. They were God's chosen people, but they didn't know him. They didn't know who he was. They had nothing, nothing in relationship with God. They're slaves in Egypt, but they've been crying out to God, God, 
You said we were your people, but here we are, slaves, hundreds and hundreds of years, slaves. They begged him to free them, and finally God says, all right, I'm gonna send a guy. Moses is your guy, and God miraculously brings them out of their slavery. He saves them from their slavery in Egypt. And they're out of Egypt for about five minutes, and God speaks to Moses and says, hey, speak to the people and see if they wanna have a relationship with me. Remember what I just did back there just five minutes ago? Do they want to, I want to be your God. Do you want to be my people? And they were all like, oh yeah, oh yeah. We saw what you did. That was like five minutes ago. We saw all that happen with the Egyptian army in the water, you know, blub, drowned. And that's it. So we saw that. We want to be yours. Great, God says, great. I want to just, Moses, just, I tell you what, let's talk. You come up here on the mountain. And this mountain will be a holy space for me and you. And we're going to talk, and I'm just going to, I'm going to pour out how you and I can get started in this relationship, how you can become my people. I'm just going to, I'm just going to show up with my presence. Moses, you show up, and we'll, we'll meet together. Make sure nobody else, this is holy ground. Make sure nobody else even touches the mountain, okay? Stay away because it's holy ground. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and, and you know the story. Summarizing it, he, Moses actually kind of comes up and goes down several times. And God meets with him there. Moses gets all this from God that's in the Torah now. It's amazing. And he's up there for a while, longer than everybody expects. You know, they thought this was going to be done in you know, an hour. Could have been an email. Um, <laughs> Maybe it could have been an hour, I don't know, but it's been, it's been like an hour and 20. Where's Moses? And the people kind of, they, they lose their sight. They forget what happened five minutes ago. Well, I should say, they forget who happened five minutes ago. Moses is still up on the mountain, so they come up with this plan while Moses is with God on the mountain. Exodus 32, we see what happens. You know this story. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And Aaron took the gold and melted it down and molded it into the shape of a calf. They make a golden calf. They all come together and they get grandma's earrings and get the kids' earrings. They put them all together and they make a fake cow. And so when the people saw it, the people of God exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Five minutes after they've come out of Egypt, now they are attributing to the fake cow what only God could do. Five minutes later, they are exalting a bunch of molded gold shaped like a fake cow and saying, this is the God who saved us. And Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the fake cow. And then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. So he says, tomorrow we're going to have a big party, a big worship service, and we're going to worship the Lord. But he's not talking about Yahweh here. Who's he talking about? Fake cow. We're going to have a big party to worship fake cow. But I highlighted that word because it's very, very sad. In some translations, you'll find this word in all caps because this means something. Whenever you look in your Old Testament, if you, if you have one of these translations that all caps the word Lord, it's because they are replacing the word Yahweh. Aaron just called fake cow by the name Yahweh. They've so diluted themselves and diluted 
their worship. So the people got up early the next morning. Look at this. Early in the morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. And they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. Looks like worship. Sounds like worship. Man, they're all hot and bothered about it. They're so excited. But all it is is pagan revelry. Fake cow worship. We've so made our worship about all the things that we've forgotten who God is. We've so spent our lives worshiping the media, the culture, the status, the symbols, the objects, the achievements, the goals. We've so gotten caught up in worshiping all the fake cows. How awful, how awful for you and I to reach the end of our lives only to discover that all we've been doing is dancing around a fake cow when all along you were invited to come up on the mountain of God. I'm begging you, Christian. I'm begging you. Regain your sight. See him once again. We used to sing the old song, old school, old people song. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Any old people in the room that remember that song? Yeah, I remember that song. There's five old people in the room that remember that song. But stop. Be still. And hold, hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. I just had to yeah, he says, no, there's nothing I need. Oh, I'm sorry, was I doing something else? Stop with the distraction. Stop deluding your worship. Stop being connected to a thousand lesser things and see him once again. In the next couple of weeks as we're talking about worship, I'm going to be talking about how to catch a, a new vision of who he is in your life because all of us, all of us, slash blank on your page, need a fresh glimpse of him. Can I get an amen?